0: Well, hello, boys and girls, sports fans, and assorted waifs and strays. Guess who it's? Den here from Diginomica. And today I am talking with Chris Carnahan, um, otherwise known as Boo Boo. Hey. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for a little bit of background, uh, Chris and I have known each other for quite some number of years. I, I would hate to. Think how many?
1: Yeah, um, it's been a long time. Been a long yeah. time.
0: And, and both of us uh, came together through the SAP mentor program. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have since retired or become an alumni or alumnus, whatever it's called. And Chris, bless him, continues to soldier on in that wonderful environment. Um, Chris, just, just, just because you know, the three out of four people who are going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> It will not know who you are tell us tell us all a little bit about yourself what you're doing and yeah and, and the rest of it and then we can get into this whole topic of you know choosing the appropriate infrastructure yes. supplier for your sap landscape or for that matter for your broader landscape
1: absolutely so uh so i've i've been in the sap ecosystem for 18 years now so uh it, it, it has been uh, it has been quite a while um Been around various companies, uh, Capgemini, SAP, and and uh, and uh, and Bluefin, and uh, I've been an SAP mentor for eight or nine years now, and my specialty there is as uh, it it sits within cloud and innovation, Um, and then that that's my ecosystem or community type. Role and then for my my day job i'm i'm the global c o e lead for uh database and technology at Mindtree um and uh it, both of those things as well as uh family life keeps me uh keeps me extremely busy' so no. it does extremely busy Yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. Now, Chris, the, the reason that I'm, I called you up and wanted to get you on the on yep. this uh, topic was because I remember many years ago you were doing AWS POCs. Yes. And, and at the time, we were all getting excited about the prospect of Amazon Web Services as being a, a potential platform for SAP um, technology, and, and you were you were very clear that at, at that particular point in time, yes. Customers will use these for POCs, they're very easy to spin up, they're very easy to to destroy, but they won't go into production on on that, or or very, very, very rarely, and even then in very, very small bits and pieces. I, I think that's correct, isn't it?
1: Yeah, when we when we started looking at this all those years ago, um, it was purely proof of concept. So I was working with uh, SAP Labs out in Palo Alto, um, and and we were doing some really really interesting stuff on Amazon, mostly because it was the it was definitely the front runner and and the the, the it had a first mover advantage in uh, in in deployments, um, but it was the ecosystem that was really or the the, the SAP ecosystem that, that i felt wasn't quite ready yet there were a lot of um, a, lot, a lot of challenges around things like data security data privacy um, the, the 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 performance on 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 the actual how do you architect a performant and resilient platform uh, in the right way in amazon um, that knowledge just wasn't out there so at the time um I knew or I felt that it was gonna take a little bit of time for for this to reach maturity and, and move into that mainstream.
0: Yeah, but the fact of the matter remains that people were prepared to at least experiment,
1: mm. it, weren't they? Yeah? Oh massively, massively the 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 it was there was literally an explosion of interest and, and, and we just couldn't at the time I was at Capgemini and, and and you know, we just couldn't crank them out fast enough. Every every customer wanted to do something interesting um in in that cloud environment. Mm-hmm. And uh what what we came up against very quickly was actually uh was actually two things. It was um scalability. Uh, I, that is to say, within ourselves, to actually to deploy these landscapes, and then the second thing was actually around um, cost, um, mm-hmm. making sure that you know the customers had a an expectation of a vast that, that this thing would be so much cheaper. Although the agility was there and the speed at which you could move, they also had a an expectation that it would be extremely cheap to run, and that wasn't necessarily borne out. Um, and, and there were a couple of uh, couple of surprises for customers.
0: Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> perhaps we can get into a little bit of the detail on that a little bit later. But you mentioned very early on in this conversation that um, AWS had had that first mover advantage. Now, oh yes. Th- today there is a, a significant debate, and this is not just true about SAP uh, landscapes, but also other landscapes. Yes. When uh, Where people are now sort of saying, well, does AWS still hold that supremis, supreme position or are alternatives like GCP and Microsoft Azure uh, ones also to consider? Now, I think that basically speaking, you should be considering all the hyperscalers anyway. That's my personal point of view. Yes. But... I, th- I, I question whether that first mover advantage still holds true. There are a number of reasons why I hold that uh, view. And I have been debating this with a number of people. Uh, for instance, Andy Steer over at Intelligence, I asked him that question. I said, yeah. you know, would you make, what choices would you make there? He said, quite honestly, I don't see that there's a great deal of difference between them. That may be for his workloads, right? Yeah. I, th- I talked to John Appleby. Appleby puts forward a very compelling case for saying um, aws has got to be the uh, the default choice you know again first mover advantage he talks about scale yes but Then i go back to him and say things like well yeah there's an awful lot of mom and pop shops operating aws systems <laughs> but what i'm talking about are enterprise class businesses who are yeah. using those right and aws have put out this um bit of a kind of PR stunt thingy where they suggested that they were, you know, running more SAP landscapes than anybody else in the world, but actually didn't put a number on it, which surprised me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It- so, so, so I mean, how are you seeing it? I mean, that's how I'm kind of viewing it in a very sort of 30,000-foot view.
1: Yeah. So I – it's a fascinating one um because when you actually look at the 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 actual platforms um i i'm gonna disagree slightly with andy um because there are differences between them and they 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 relate fundamentally to the product set that actually sits behind them so when you look at amazon it is the longest partner it, uh, it has made massive strides in how to get people onto their platform. Uh, for example, they're one of the partners for VMware um, on, on AWS, which means if a customer has a VMware estate, they can literally just lift those VM images and ship them up and synchronize them into the cloud, making your transition really, really easy. They have probably the most stable and mature API of any of the cloud vendors. And and they they have really really good commercials, so so Amazon is 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 really good in that. But where I think they're they're kind of lacking is when you compare it to Azure, you know Azure probably has the biggest the strongest. Business platform or business ready platform. When you factor in things like Power BI, Active Directory, Office three hundred and sixty five, those ancillary services that sit around it make that platform a really really strong competitor. Uh, and then whenever you look at the sales alignment between SAP and Microsoft, how they sell, how they interact in commercials and things like again, that, again that becomes a really really compelling case. <clears throat> when you look at Google. They have the biggest VMs So the day, and they also have oncoming support with Google Docs and that sort of stuff. Um, and then all three of them support Cloud Foundry, so it's it's not just where am I going to put my Netweaver system? It's it's how does the business benefit from what we're doing? Okay, and then when you start to factor that in, it it the the nuances of each of the platforms really start to become apparent. Um, and and then you're you're starting to make a business decision around your roadmap, where are you going, what are you using in other parts of your business, how are you gonna support, you know, uh those types of activities. And that that's where I've seen over the last uh two years and, and certainly in, in the role I'm doing at the moment, um, those conversations are becoming much, much more prevalent.
0: Okay. So let's just, again, step into what you're saying here.
1: Mm.
0: When we were originally talking all those years ago, essentially we were talking about infrastructure. Yes. Metal to to provide the basis for applications, et cetera. What we're now looking at is in in a world where essentially these three hyperscalers are – I don't think they're at commodity status yet, but they're they're getting close, right? Yeah. When you're in a commodity market, you have to find ways of differentiating yourselves, and and I think here – Microsoft looks to me to be a lot stronger because it has all those SaaS apps going for it, and it has a whole bunch of of commercials going with it that perhaps the others are not quite there with. Is is that kind of the thrust of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, when when you look around the 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 stuff around the edge, the stuff that makes your platform work, you know, you, you think about. Uh, your your user experience, your security and authentication, and how do you consume the data beyond your transactional system? Okay, so when you look at the user experience, um, all three of the hyperscalers are you know have massively performant and scalable platforms, so they're all. Pretty, pretty even on that. Um, Google's got really good virtualization. Uh, Amazon has really good um, hypervisor, uh, hardware based hypervisors, and Azure has has, has a really, really uh, performant platform as well. Um, when you look at the security and and, and the authentication. Um, Microsoft does really really well because it has native Azure Active Directory. Both Google and Amazon have um their own active directory type uh, scenarios and can link back to Active Directory but on on Azure it's absolutely native and then when you look at the 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 other services like Office 365 the ability to consume um uh data in-office applications directly from your SAP system, you know, uh, is, is a really powerful message as well. Um, so Microsoft have that. Google have improvements in the Google Docs, and then Amazon don't really have anything in that space. They're filling that space with it, with other things.
0: Mm, okay. So, how do you make a choice then?
1: Oh, I would say a dartboard at times, but. Um, <laughs> So so again it, it comes down to you know, what what are you doing in your business okay so so we We've gone through the various uh, sort of cloud phases. We've gone through infrastructure and 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 loving that, and and we've we've been through um, the 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 platform as a service um, types of scenarios in 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 other parts of the business, and with within SAP, obviously we've got the cloud. Uh, we had Neo in the SAP cloud platform, and we've now got the cloud Foundry, which is a fabulous fabulous product, um, and then. We, we have had big data, okay? And when you move through those journeys, you start to see where uh, companies are p- placing their bets. So when you start to look at big data and you look at things like Amazon Redshift or EMR or, or the Azure uh, big data um, capability that the name temporarily eludes me, um, you start to think about those things because what you have to remember is, is that cloud is a direct charge model or it's a it's it's, it's a charged on consumption. So mm-hmm. when you start to look at how much it costs to move data from one cloud to the next, um, you start to actually come into what is known as a, a highly variable cost. So if a company has made a large investment in a big data platform on a hyperscaler um, that you want to either leverage with your SAP landscape, then you start to Think about, well, am I best served putting my SAP landscape where my large amount of data is that I want to operationally use or I want to push my SAP data into? And so it's not purely an SAP decision. And I think we're at that point where these things really aren't just SAP decisions. They are wider decisions, and we feed into those overall. Um, And then you take into account other um, other factors like just heritage or competition. You know, we 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 know that um, Walmart, for example, won't use Amazon because they are direct competitors in in retail. So Walmart will will only work with Microsoft or or, or Google or Oracle or IBM. Right.
0: So again, let's let's just try and sort of distill this a little bit. Mm. What I'm thinking, we we tend to come, Diginomica, we tend to come to things from a business <clears throat> outcome perspective, okay? Yes. You know, it's probably fair to say that even though we talk about technology, you know, from, uh, if I put my pure bias hat on, I actually do not care. You know, yeah. I just want to get something done. Um, but I have to make choices at the end of the day. Now, the way that choices are being made these days seems to be shifting a little bit away from the technical person to the business person, Okay.
1: Very much, very, very much.
0: Now, the minute that you start talking in these terms, I'm thinking, how is a business person going to help to make those decisions? Because they're going to have to involve technical people like yourself to assess things. I mean, do you, for instance, think that you guys are the right people to be assessing the overall cost of running this kind of infrastructure, given different scenario um, potential situations? What do you think?
1: So... The, so let's, 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 let's pick up on, I, 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 have I've picked up on two, two, two words there. One is advise and the other one, are we the right people? Um, And and as a, you know, as as a person running a a cloud practice, um, obviously we have relationships with specific vendors. Now, most smart organizations are are relatively agnostic, but there is still sort of a, a small hierarchy of, of who, who you deal with first, who you deal with second, who you deal with third, in terms of when you're going for RFPs or you're you're working with customers and that sort of stuff. And 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 most most of the, the SIs are pretty open about those types of relationships you have to be with your customers, but you have to be customer led. Right. You absolutely have to be customer led. And so when you take this into three phases, you do your Assessment phase, okay. Mm-hmm. Then you do. Then you can do your 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 build phase, and then you do your run phase, okay. And and the two, I would argue that the two most important bits of them. One is the assessment, and the other one is the run. The build, the build is the one that 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 so many people data, a technical sort of play on, you know, we can get you up to the cloud in in, in, in no time at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is a compelling message and it is a very good uh, message. But at the end of the day, it, it's the shortest part of, of, of the, the life cycle of the system. And therefore you have to link it to business outcomes and business value. Mm-hmm. And again, the places where you find that are in the assessment. They're absolutely in the assessment. So this is why this is why you know companies, the, the the system integrators, spend time building these models, building these accelerators where they can go in, run um, workshops, run tools, and uh, against the systems. You know, at the end of the day, there there are still technology aspects to it. But um, the the question quite often that we're we're answering is you know, what could you do in a cloud environment tomorrow that you can't do today in your on-premise environment, okay? Right. From a business point of view, that's a, it's a really valuable question and it, it gets people thinking about the the future and the roadmap and what, what it is they, they want to accomplish, okay, right. and the journey they want to take. Um, and then the other one is, you know, what is... What are the pain points? What is it? What are the pain points you have now? What are your expectations that this platform is going to resolve for you? And again, it doesn't just stay with infrastructure as a service; it actually goes across to, for example, the SAP Cloud Platform. You know, where are you going to deploy that? Are you going to deploy that in uh, on SAP and Cloud Foundry? Are you going to have, deploy it in Amazon or, or Google or, or Azure. And those are those are all, um, you know, business-driven questions. Mm. And uh, it's fascinating because, you know, when we started this journey, you know, 10 years ago, it was all about technology. It was all about, uh, you know, how, how you could do stuff faster and things like that. But it's only, it really has been in the last five five years that we've business have really started to get get on board with the fact that it's not just a business decision and part of that's driven by you know Hannah, part of it's driven by S4 um, and 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 also competing pressures around um, you know the actual efficiencies within the business as well
0: so so let me let me paint a little picture for you and and, and let's see how this works okay yep go cool. i'm a i'm a company that's been playing around with the cloud for a while mm-hmm um, I'm probably a Microsoft shop because eighty ninety percent are Microsoft shops anyway. Yep. I'm I'm I've been allured to the idea of O three six five, and I'm rolling that out. So I'm rolling out Azure anyway. Okay. Mm. I'm now thinking about my ECC to S four HANA transition, and I I have to go I have to make an infrastructure decision around that. Mm. Presumably in this kind of scenario the natural choice therefore would be to say okay you probably want to be looking first at azure because we already have azure in essence we have that yep. and, and and that would be that would be a complementary play that that kind of makes sense intuitively <laughs> but that would be that would be my opening position you mm. may well turn around and say ah oh, yeah but you've got all these other little things going on on the side here, which we know eventually will become part of your overall technology landscape, whether it's with or without SAP, depending on what we're talking about. Mm. And and you may well find, you know, we can for instance see that there is this particular functionality that we know is important to you and it happens to be running on AWS. Yep. Okay, so how are we gonna cross, how are we gonna get the data across from A to B, um, from this particular crucial piece of stuff, into that landscape and do it in a cost-effective manner because that's going to be an important consideration. Is is that a, is that a, is that something that we should be thinking about?
1: Absolutely, and it is. It's it's something that we do um, as. and and, and when i say we i mean holistically within the cloud sort of ecosystem that that's those are the types of conversations that that we have with our customers um and it's it's it is the the devil is absolutely in the detail you know and, and and previously we would have had conversations around you know data residency data privacy and that sort of stuff now we're having conversations around this application is here, or this data is here. Um, this is important to your business in this way, um, and 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 it's the the conversation effectively is, has moved up a level. If, if you were to look at the stack, if you will, uh, you know, away from the 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 technology into the application and the data, and now over the last sort of two years, we've been elevating that further into the business.
0: And is that because even though. You know, the hyperscalers on the face of things at 30,000 feet look very, very similar mm. in many respects. They're actually different. In other words, dealing with a multi-cloud environment is not the same as dealing with your electricity supplier where you can switch uh, switch with a credit card kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Right? Is that, is yeah. That, okay. It's, 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 it's a... Um yeah, you know, when you when you talk about a heterogeneous environment, you know the place where a lot of people wanted to get to was the ability to actually move workloads seamlessly across clouds, and that yeah. that is that that is that is not happening, and 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 that's for a number of reasons: some commercial, some techno, uh, technological, and, and 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 I get it; I I can see where the walled gardens benefit, um, but. When you get into um, the heterogeneous landscapes of having, for example, your big data platform in BigQuery in um, GCP, but you've got your uh, SAP landscape sitting in Amazon, and you have to exchange data between them, you know those, those those considerations have to play a role in in what you're doing. And and I actually see customers. Um, veering away from heterogeneous landscapes um, at the moment, simply because the hyperscalers, uh, the hyperscalers want to drive consumption. Okay. to, Mm. To, 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 you know, for the numbers on the quarterly reports. Okay. And, and they, they, they're doing really, really, really good business and offering fantastic incentives and building brilliant relationships with their customers. Um, and as a result of that, I see customers perhaps start to talk about heterogeneous landscapes. And then, when we get through the assessments and we speak to the the then you know the the hyperscalers, that conversation goes away a little bit. So it does, um, and therefore what you would end up with is quite often customers would run Office 365 and Power BI, for example, in Azure, and they might deploy other applications in Amazon or GCP.
0: Okay. So if I'm making these kinds of decisions, mm-hmm. I have two things to think about. One is the business decision, one is the technical decision. Now, yep. I've been led to understand that the technical Difficulties in moving uh, workloads or moving data, rather, between uh, different uh, infrastructures uh, providers is, is a variable problem. In the sense that, in some cases, it's relatively straightforward, but in some circumstances, it can actually be quite difficult. Is, is that is that fair to say?
1: It's like any interfacing um, that we do anywhere it depends heavily on the type of data you want to move and the products you want to to use to move it. Um, it, When we talk about moving SAP data out of SAP into a data warehouse um, the the extractors to do that are relatively straightforward and, and, and it it really comes down to a network routing issue and a cost issue. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about moving data out of a, a homegrown or, or a, a very siloed application into SAP, then that poses some challenges. But I say overall, it, in my experience, it, it has never been that, that tricky to do. And being in the cloud doesn't really change that. Away you know you would still have the same challenges if you were on-prem, so you would so being in a cloud environment, I in my in my experience doesn't change that capability or the the complexity in doing it away you know, to any great degree to how it would be different from on-prem. okay,
0: so when you're having these kinds of conversation, uh, do you do you find that finance people people with my kind of head in on those conversations or, or or are they abstracted away from it?
1: so uh it, it it sort of goes in in if we if we go back to the the, the 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 three phases um you know where you do the assessment and the build and and and, and the run uh in the assessment phase we're absolutely talking to the upper levels of, of management to, to work out what the drivers are, what are the business drivers, what what are the pain points, and then take that away and then look at the the lower the, the lower parts of, of the stack and start to map that out to help to drive a a uh, an you know, a, a roadmap and an outcome and a, a decision or at least give the customer the, the information to make that decision. Mm. So that, that's sort of a, a U-shape where we start with, with a finance person or somebody with that sort of control in the room. Then we curve around doing the investigation the assessment and we bring the results back into the room with those decision makers present. Then when we get into the the build part, you know the, the those people with the money are really not that that, that interested in that and, and and that's a fair fair thing and then whenever we get back into the run part of it, then you start to consume operational expenditure to run the actual landscape and that's where having a really good relationship with those people Um, who uh, with operational finance control is actually really important because when you're in a cloud environment, regardless of whether it's uh, infrastructure or or platform, um, you have fixed costs and variable costs. And the fixed costs are usually the the items around um, storage and and compute. Um, They don't vary a massive amount unless you're flexing your landscape uh, dynamically. But what you... um, uh, sorry, yes, yeah, storage. But when you get into compute and network, they're much more variable costs, and therefore having that relationship and keeping them aware of what's happening, keeping them aware of what what is operationally being spent, and, and tracking that sort of stuff builds a lot of trust. It builds a lot of um, respect, and also gives the make sure that the customer is getting the outcomes that they want, getting the outcomes that in that first meeting when you started that assessment that the customer's experience is actually matching what it is they want to do.
0: Okay. Given everything that you've said about the competitive environment there, and we know that it's highly competitive, that doesn't even come close to reality, I appreciate that. Hmm. Um <clears throat> this must be a procurement person's wet dream, mustn't it? Because, <laughs> I mean, you know what those guys are like. You know, whatever the price is they want 30% off and we'll agree somewhere in between, right? Yeah. Are you seeing a great deal of that going on or 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 have the hyperscalers figured out how to enable that particular set of circumstances?
1: So what's interesting is Amazon Amazon started this with started the transparency and pricing. All the way back, uh, all those years ago, with the pricing calculator. So they were very, very upfront and said, "This is this is the cost." Yeah, that was it. Yep. Didn't matter how big you were or anything like that. It, this is the cost. Okay. And all the hyperscalers have followed that model. In the fact, that there is a extreme transparency in the cost because I can go on and I can size a landscape and I can get a, a ROM cost for that and then. The partner managers come in and they negotiate a little bit around that. But it's not, you know, we're not talking along the lines of, you know, the enterprise software discounts that, that we've seen some customers get when we look exactly. at SAP licenses. There is wiggle room. There absolutely is wiggle room, especially when you're going to make a commitment for X number of years with a hyperscaler, whether that's three years or five years. Where actually, where, where it gets really interesting is actually with the SIs. Okay, so the hyperscalers typically don't do professional services um, in terms of actually running SAP landscapes or running workloads on their own platforms. They do professional services in terms of consultancy and helping people get on there. So that leaves it open for people like Atos, Mindtree, uh, Lemongrass, um, Accenture to place a wrapper around that. Okay, and that. Is where procurement squeeze, <laughs> Not on the hyperscaler; they squeeze the SI. So they do, wow. and and it is—it's fascinating, especially whenever you consider the the level of transparency and the prices from the hyperscalers. Mm. So you know the the if 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 the customer is uh, is very very switched on, there are ways that they can actually. Um, See what the breakdown in the pricing actually looks like if the the cut if if the the SI is not being transparent and and one of the things that I've learned uh, and I learned very quickly was uh, to be transparent to, to really break out those costs so you can see the services you can see the 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 infrastructure costs and you can see the transition costs and things like that and that that's 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 that customers like that they like that transparency but um, definitely procurement are uh, deeply enjoying um, the ability to, to, to squeeze the SIs.
0: You know, we're going to slightly sque- uh, swerve away from this because you're now onto my pet project. Yes. Which is, how do I get the most done for the least money, right? Yep.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, look, look, I, I, I firmly believe in what is the biggest payoff for the least amount of effort.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that's... Um, i'm grappling with Mm. i think a lot of people are grappling with this is you know when it comes to dealing with sis and those kinds of people and consulting type organizations how do we move away from time and materials to outcome based or fixed price um deals Mm. and um, and i'm trying to educate a a firm at the moment on this what i'm saying to them is you know whenever you spend whenever you price on the basis of time and materials your ability to make money is actually limited yes there are, only, there are not more than 24 hours in a day. There are not more than seven days in a week. And if you've agreed a particular price, then that's it. That's that's all you're ever going to achieve. Yeah. Um, and that is not necessarily in, in your interests and yep. it's not necessarily in your client's interests. Now, there are circumstances where that's true, but they are diminishing rapidly, in my opinion, anyway. Mm. So, for example, the ability to say, I'm going to implement this and then i'm going to provide a whole series of maintaining services around that to my mind that's a straight you know that's a straight fixed cost you've done it you yeah. know what's there. Boom, 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 boom. now when it comes to um significant transitions like from ecc to s4 i can understand where there may well be time and materials uh, implications but at the same time i can also see where there would definitely be fixed price fixed time fixed yeah. cost um uh, implications as well is that what the procurement people are looking for in your view when you say that they're enjoying spending time with the SIs? so i, know I would
1: <laughs> yeah exactly well well i am I'm, I'm going to challenge a little bit cuz if i'm being honest i time and material so in 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 the last couple of SIs for which i have i've have worked um most of uh, the technical work that i'm doing is all fixed price or cap T&M. Right. Um, and therefore we've gotten really, really good and tight about um, about estimating that amount of work in order to do uh, not just the, the build, but also the run aspects of it. And um, what, as as... Tools have evolved, and things like that we 're obviously doing more automation in order to uh, increase consistency, increase scale, and decrease risk mm-hmm. um, to ourselves and, and, and to our customers right. um, what is interesting is we are uh, we have a very very strong desire to move the outcome. Based, um, projects uh, and commercials and that's that, that that's really for, for for a couple of reasons one is um, outcome based projects tend to have uh, more of a business lever to them uh-huh. which means it's easier to get in front of that business person and and actually deliver against their expectation um, so for example a you know if we're doing a cloud migration, you know, uh, one outcome could be that we're able to achieve a, a TCO reduction within the cost of the landscape, or it could be that uh, the we're actually l- providing the ability to actually pump data into another system much much faster, which will actually lead to better. Better intelligence within their own enterprise and and that sort of stuff. It's so the, the 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 value chain may be slightly longer, but there is definitely an outcome there. Where the challenge sometimes lies is actually in building that model yes. um, and and building that model and getting it through procurement and getting it through the um, you know the commercial arm of of the SI because you know. I, I know within Mindtree, we, we, we do like to try and, and, and do that mostly because it, it it delights the customer more than just a fixed price deliverable. It gives us both something to work with. It gives us both something to strive for and to, to, to make real. Mm-hmm. Um but the trick is just, it, it quite often, it's just getting it through commercials okay. and, and and that's, that's, that, that's often, often the way.
0: Okay. Chris, let's, let's use the next few minutes to, to for, for you to run a therapy session with me because this is, this is, this is very close to my heart. Okay. Yep. So we ran a, we ran a transition from one platform to another at the <clears> beginning of the year and we, and I was very clear that I wanted it done on a fixed price, fixed scope basis and there were a whole variety of reasons for why that was the right decision to make um it turned out that the people that we used had underestimated quite significantly actually yeah they they screwed it up in terms of the amount of work that they felt that they needed to do i was kind of alive to that from fairly early on based upon my past experience and so i was i'd already budgeted for the fact that there would be a a fairly significant cost overrun based on what they had said and so, so for me, my budget was actually my budget was different to what they were thinking that they were going to have to pay. Yes. So anyway, I ended up I ended up paying what I thought I was going to end up paying, and we and we got to a, and we got to a, a conclusion, and that and that was fine. It all worked out fine. Yes. What we then did in the post in the post go live situation was to try and assess what our um, monthly budgeted spend was going to look like, because what I was wanting to do was to flip. My, my model away from 70%, 80% maintenance, 20% innovation, or even yes. the other way around. That, yep. that, was, that was my prime objective in making that transition. We're now, I think, three or four months in, and I think we're probably about 50-50. The last two or three months... you know, That's the really good, thing, Bug fixing, yeah. bits and bats, nits, all sorts of crappy things that you have to deal with. And, and we reckon that we're around about fifty-fifty. What I've, I'm hoping I can get to is a model where, over the course of the next few months, we can say, you know what, we're going to be spending twenty to thirty percent on on maintenance. We've got to do that. Yeah, we're going to be spending sixty to seventy percent on some forms of innovation. But what I'd really like is twenty sixty, and I want twenty percent free for things that we're going to experiment on, things that we may well fail on. And things that we're gonna write off on or take forward as outcome based yes. solutions. Does that seem to you like a reasonable way of proceeding?
1: Short answer is yes. The the, 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 the bit that I, I, I'm genuinely thrilled that you've actually realized that degree of, of of switch in in what you've actually done and that that's and and.
0: It, it wasn't no, that is not it was it was the fact it was the fact that the the bloody maintenance was killing me <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but it 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 is it it is unusual um to get okay. to get that level of of switch um what what we have actually found is um the as you as you move into this landscape okay and moving away from your your on prem environment It allows you to, to to make that switch in your context uh, and in your expectations. Um, and and be fair, ninety percent of what we do in the cloud world you can do in the on premise world. It's just people through history and, and 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 technical debt find it extremely difficult to actually accomplish. But if I were to give you an example, when I in my day job when I look at how we approach. AMS um, in the cloud world, we've actually differentiated between what is monitoring and what is resolution. Okay, yeah. so a customer may come to us and say they want twenty-four by seven monitoring, or they they want they want they want twenty-four by seven support. And when you dig into it, you, you realize that what they actually require is twenty-four by seven monitoring with on-call. But in terms of actual resolution, they only require you know twelve by five. to support their organization. So then you start to think about, okay, so what can we then do? And this is where you get into outcomes. So if I don't need a bum on seat, but I can put a process in place, an automated process in place where the system will track a specific activity, alert when it goes wrong, and then get the on-call person to actually deal with that. Okay? Then what you're actually getting is you're still within your SLA, but you're not, effectively wasting the customer's budget by having a person there bum on seat, not doing an awful lot and not, um, not doing, uh, not, not, not wasting time. So you can now reallocate that to something else. Okay. And then that could be an S4 transformation or it could be a POC or something similar. And then whenever you do the uh, the 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 resolution part? Then you have a bit more budget to play with in how you actually resolve things, increase your responsiveness to your customer, and and that sort of stuff. And and that becomes a very very interesting conversation. And the goal is to work with your customer and and to start to look at because as again because we're doing this towards a business outcome to towards some form of transformation. You have to bring those support costs, those maintenance costs down a bit, so you can then increase the ability to do more with the uh, with the customer.
0: So it's incumbent upon you guys to be doing as much by way of automated testing, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, as, as possible. So there is a, there is a requirement on you guys to be doing it a lot more by way of your own development, if I can put it that way, in order to achieve those outcomes. Yeah.
1: Well, absolutely, because at, at, at the end of the day, this you know this is this is what the ecosystem is doing. Okay, so if I were to use the example of the build phase, although it is the shortest phase, um, nobody should be there. Nobody should be building uh, systems by hand. It should be using infrastructure as code. The code is there. The code is published by the hyperscalers. You should be using the tools that they do to use to do that, which shortens the time it takes to do that, and it creates a more consistent and and and, and faster result. And um, and that that's brilliant. So what then happens during the rest of that the rest of that time that that previously would have been allotted? That frees the person up to a higher value task. To help the customer to bring them further along on that journey, and that that that's really really important, um, and it's what our customers expect. And to be honest, it's what all the competitors are doing. Right, so it is. Okay. okay.
0: So just to wrap wrap this wrap this up, there are choices to be made. Yes, an awful lot is going to depend upon what your objectives are and what your likely outcomes or what your anticipated outcomes are going to be looking like yes um, there is room for negotiation but do remember that since we're, especially on the infrastructure side we're essentially looking at consumption-based commodity pricing which has got to be great because that us yeah. with a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of of visibility into the future and that transparency is the name of the game yeah and yeah and, and it is essentially the hyperscalers who are who are leading this charge forward that's uh, impacting all of us, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yes. Okay. All right. Chris, we've been talking for a good while. Anything more to add before we close this out and you go and get a well-earned cup of tea or whatever?
1: <laughs> I definitely need a well-earned cup of tea. Uh, no, I, the, 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 I would say this is a really exciting journey So it is, and, 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 you know, for many, many customers, um, and there, there's so much that you can do. You, you, you can radically change stuff, but you have to maintain that business focus. If you don't, um, you, you, you definitely can, can run into some serious risks, but, um, yeah it, it's a fantastic journey and and uh it's a brilliant time to be alive in this uh, in this industry
0: okay and, right. and very final question yes what, to what extent do you believe customers are, are ready for this because you know we hear all sorts of stories about difficulties in building business cases yep. you know we can talk s4 if you want but i mean it's very very well known yes um, are, are enough customers ready to hit the go button for this to become mainstream over the course of the next few years, would you say?
1: I would say customers are probably a lot more ready than they think they are okay um they need to sit down and just map out what their objectives are okay. and look at the maturity in the platforms these these hyperscalers are ready they are mature they offer fantastic services um, and the partner ecosystem is there to support them mm. um, perhaps not not fully in the automation sense there are some laggards out there but definitely, just in terms of the platform and the capabilities in terms of infrastructure and platforms of service and business services, they're there. They're ready. And I think customers are more ready than they think they are.
0: OK, boys and girls, sports fans and all those other people
1: that may be listening.
0: You heard it first here from good old Chris Carnahan. Thanks so for your time, Chris.
1: Thank you very much, Dennis. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers.